What a wonderful selection of songs that we've sung this morning, all reflecting the wonderful conversion that God has worked in all of us who know Christ. Our sins, though they be many, His mercy is so much more. Our sins, they're thrown into a sea without bottom or shore, never to be remembered. And we learn that His grace is stronger than darkness, and it's new every morning. And that's exactly what we'll see this morning in the story of Saul of Tarsus and his conversion. Turn to Acts chapter 9 in your Bibles. Acts chapter 9, starting in the first verse. We'll look at Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through verse 20. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately... Something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. 
and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our Father, we ask that you would show us this morning what it is that we need to understand from this passage of your Holy Scripture. We ask that our eyes would be open to the truth that you have before us. We ask that you would make us to be absolutely certain about the things that you have spoken through your prophets in your holy scriptures and that you've spoken through Paul in your word and that you've brought to us to our hearing through the pen of Luke this morning. We ask that you help us to be sure of the things that we already know and we ask that you'd help us to have our eyes open to things that we have not perceived before. Give us complete confidence in the message that's set before us, the gospel of salvation to Jews and to Gentiles, to us today. We ask that you do this today for us. For your glory, we pray. Amen. The need that we have this morning that I really want to impress is that we need to be completely confident in the message of Paul. The message this morning of the man we'll call Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And we need to be absolutely certain of what it is that he says and that he brings to us in the scriptures because, for one, we will be studying Romans coming up. We'll be studying Romans in a couple weeks, uh, two weeks from now. And this is Paul's master treatise on the Christian gospel. And we can't have any confidence in what it is that Paul's saying to us if we can't be sure that he's a trustworthy source, that he speaks on behalf of God. So we need to be absolutely certain that Paul is a trustworthy source, that we can trust the words that he speaks. So that's what we seek to do this morning. There are lots of other things that we could explore this morning. Questions like, if you're a Christian, would you like to see the depth of the breadth of your conversion? Or are there any bounds to God's power in the conversion of souls? Is there anyone beyond the reach of his gospel? What is the point of conversion? Is it to be happy or satisfied, or is there more? And there's so many other things we see that Jesus is setting through his disciples a global mission, and Jesus himself is the leader. But this is the most foundational thing that we'll see in this text, that we can have complete confidence in the message of Saul of Tarsus. So, to build on this need that we have to understand why Paul's message, Saul's message, can be trustworthy, let's look at the way that Luke, who has written the book of Acts, frames his, his books. Uh, Luke's brought to us the books of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And in the Gospel of Luke, you can turn, if you'd like, to uh, Luke chapter 1, we see he sets forth for us what his purpose is. He makes really clear why he wrote the gospel of Luke. Right at the beginning, he says this, 
Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, and here it is, that you may have certainty accord, uh, concerning the things that you have been taught. So he writes at, uh, Luke so that the people that read Luke may have certainty about the things that they're about to see. And then at the beginning of Acts, he continues this premise. He says at the beginning of Acts, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and so on. So he sets forth the things that Jesus has started to do and teach and he continues the things that Jesus will continue to do and teach through his apostles. And the purpose is so that you may have certainty regarding the message that he brings. So look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Here we come to one of the most dramatic conversion stories in all of the scriptures. And maybe one of the, uh, definitely one of the most uh, convicting, most important, most groundbreaking, and world-changing conversions of any person in the history of the world. It is a complete 180-degree turn, and you're probably very familiar with this. We come to a very dramatic, uh, vivid uh, uh, retelling of what Jesus does in the heart of a man named Saul. And although you might be very familiar with this, I hope and pray that by the Holy Spirit you might find something that's new and noteworthy that God will implant in your heart. Now much in this passage has been written by scholars because of how great it is and even sometimes discounting the grandeur of what happens because it seems beyond human comprehension that God could take someone that was Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor, the blind person, and make him someone who was seeing a persecuted one, one that would become folded into the mission and the ministry of Christ in the world. This is going to be two uh, a two-part sort of mini-series, this week and next week. This week we see why Paul's message is trustworthy because of his convicting transformation. And next week we'll see why Paul's message is trustworthy because his commission comes from God, uh, both this week and next week. Why is Paul trustworthy? Why can we believe him? Here's a little bit of background in Luke in Acts. As we saw at the beginning of Luke and then in Acts, Luke wants to put forward an orderly account for people, something that they can have confidence about, something that's organized and has logic and flow and purpose. And now in Acts chapter 9, we come to this incredible uh, retelling of a conversion of a man. And what's amazing is that Luke, in his orderliness, in his uh, great design of this book of Acts, he actually brings out this three times. In the ninth chapter, in the 22nd chapter, and in the 26th chapter, he recounts the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. This time, it's 
a third-person perspective. And the other two times, Paul is actually going to say from his own words what Jesus did for him. And uh, it was wonderful to hear from Blair Clink that Adam was actually in the same place that Paul gives his defense that we'll hear about next week. He was in that same place that uh, God so mightily worked through Paul to proclaim the gospel before the religious leaders and the uh, Roman authorities. So we've seen that Luke's aim is to be orderly. He recounts this three times. All I want you to see from this is that this is a very important encounter. There's nothing like this that Luke repeats three times. Once, twice, thrice. This incredible transformation. So it's going to be very important, whatever he does, and it's going to be very key to the flow of the whole book of Acts. So how can we be certain that Paul's message is true and trustworthy? This is going to be uh, the, the outline that we follow this morning so that maybe it helps you understand the flow. We have at the beginning and the end simply Paul's encounter in the synagogues. He's going to the synagogues. That's all you really need to know right now at the beginning and at the end, verse 1, verse 20, he's going into the synagogues with a particular purpose. And then right inside that, we have an encounter with Jesus and at the end, we have another encounter with Jesus. And then right in the middle, we have these visions that Jesus brings to Ananias, who's going to be an instrument in bringing Paul to salvation. And we also have a vision that Jesus brings to Paul himself. So we have his visits to the synagogues. In that, we have Jesus' encounter and divine initiative with Paul. And in the middle, we have a vision that he receives from Jesus as well as Ananias receives. So here's the first stage of this conversion. Look with me at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, who's this man Saul? Uh, just a little bit about Saul. He probably received the name Saul and Paul at birth, Saul being his Hebrew name, his Jewish name, and Paul being his Roman name. He's called Saul here. And then further on, when he goes into the Gentile world, he goes by the name of Paul. He was born in Tarsus, an important trading center, a fortified city uh, in what's now southern Turkey. But though born in Tarsus, he actually grew up and was formally trained in Jerusalem under some of the greatest religious leaders. In Acts chapter 22, this is his second uh, account of Paul's conversion in the book of Acts. Paul says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So he, taught, he was taught under Gamaliel, and he was zealous for the law. Gamaliel, he was uh, one of the greatest uh, religious teachers at that time. He would have been the one that you would, uh, you would envy someone who, t who, who learned under this man if that was your life's aim like it was Paul's. And here's a little bit about Gamaliel because it will bring us back into um, the story today. You might recall 
earlier in the book of Acts, Peter and the apostles had uh, sort of unintentionally stirred up a crowd because they were speaking the things of Christ. And they were brought before the council, the Sanhedrin, and uh, they, were, they were given these charges. And uh, the council wants to basically kill them. They're ready to kill Peter and the apostles right there. And Gamaliel sort of intervenes, and Gamaliel says this in Acts chapter 5, 38 and 39. He says, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to stop it. So Gamaliel, this wise teacher, the one who Saul learned under, he was actually the one who said in the apostles' defense, sort of, uh, let this plan alone. It'll just fizzle out if it's not of God. But Saul, although he learned from this uh, grand master of religion, that wasn't enough for Saul. Although it would have been enough for Gamaliel, it wasn't enough for Saul. Saul isn't content with this. And going even further than the high priest and the rest of the Sanhedrin, Saul seeks to persecute Christians and go to whatever lengths are necessary to wipe them off of the face of the earth and preserve the purity of what he thought truly to be the religion of God. Go back to chapter 9, verse 1. Here now we see the state of Saul's soul. But Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Saul breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This brings us back to when we say still breathing threats or in murder. It brings us back earlier in chapter 8, just before chapter 9, actually at the end of chapter uh, 7. If you want to flip back one page, this will give you a really good understanding of what the state of Paul's heart and his mission was right now. Acts chapter 7, verse 54 and following. Give you a brief context. Stephen had just been proclaiming Jesus and the people had seen signs and wonders. And uh, he had ended up before the uh, religious leaders with charges that he had been uh, falsely representing the God that they worshipped. And he brings this great um, treatise and defense of the religion of Christians from the text of the Jewish scriptures. And he confronts them and says that what you're doing is totally wrong. What you're thinking is totally wrong. You've got the scriptures all wrong. They all point to Jesus Christ. Verse 54 of chapter 7. Now, when they heard these things from Stephen... They were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of the Lord and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Just, I'll note, get that picture in your mind because we'll see that in Jesus' confrontation of Saul. 
verse 56. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the first we hear of Saul in the book of Acts. And is introduced in the context of the killing of Stephen, the first martyr. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And verse 1 of chapter 8, And Saul approved of his execution. Wow. Jump back into chapter 9. As Saul is still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, this literally means he was breathing out threats and murder. It was his life breath. You see what a state of sin he's in. How darkened his heart is. What spiritual darkness and blindness is in him. Blindness toward the truth of Scripture. He can't even see what he's doing. He can't even see that what he's doing is completely against the God who he claims to follow. The end of verse 1. What does he do? He goes to the high priest. The high priest is Israel's re religious leader, the supreme religious authority. And with the authority of the high priest, verse 2 this is the mission he's carrying out. He asked him, the high priest, for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. The idea is that he goes to the high priest, probably Caiaphas, and he gets some sort of letter that has the authority of Caiaphas so that he can go out to Damascus, where the Christians have been scattered to because of persecution, and he can, with the authority of the high priest, give these letters to the, the synagogues at Damascus that say he has authority to then take any that are belonging to the way, the, that is those that are Christians, and bring them bound back to Jerusalem. So he's not just persecuting the people that are there in Jerusalem, he's actually going to whatever extents are necessary to follow and chase after the Christians that have been scattered out uh, outside of Jerusalem, out throughout all of Palestine. The way is, uh, is simply uh, a way to uh, denote a Christian. It was probably a sarcastic title saying that they know the way, they think they know the way to God, and it's through Jesus and it's with this blindness of heart and this murderous rampage that Saul's on, and also with the authority of the spiritually corrupt high priest, that he speeds on to Damascus. Now note here that there is no indication whatsoever that Saul thinks that he's in the wrong or that he's even experiencing some sort of internal struggle 
There is no indication whatsoever from this passage or anywhere else in all of Paul's writings that he thought he might be doing something wrong. His, his conscience wasn't conflicted at all. He was 100% certain that he was carrying out God's will. He thought, if anything, if God would have appeared to him, he would have commended him for the, the work that he's carrying out, the righteous acts that he's doing in persecuting those that would be blaspheming the name of his God. At this point, let's visit what the premise is of our study as we continue on into the first encounter that Saul has with Jesus. What we want to know is how can we be certain that Paul's post-conversion message is absolutely true? How can we be certain of all of the things that we see in Acts, all the things we hear from Saul, all the things that we'll hear from Paul, the apostle, in the rest of Scripture? I'd follow with another question to sort of answer that question. What would it take to take the man that we have here, blinded in his heart, that he perceives himself to be acting righteously as he actually profanes the name of Christ, and to take him and to convert him into the Apostle Paul? It would take nothing less than the soul-enlightening power of God and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the first encounter that Saul has with Jesus. It's found in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. What a blazing light it was. In chapter 22, we actually found out find out that it's noon. So it's noonday. It's the brightest that it's going to be all day, and he calls it a blazing light that shone around him. It filled all of the space around him, and it went so much brighter than the noonday sun. I would venture to say 10,000 times, 10,000 times brighter than the noonday sun. For we see the light that he encounters What's his response? Verse 4. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice. All he could do when he saw this light was just fall to the ground. There was nothing he could do. It was so bright. All he could do was fall to the ground. And he heard the voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. How confused Saul must be right now that he was on his way to persecute Christians to the glory of God, so he thought. And he encounters this vision. And in the vision, the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. Why are you persecuting me? He thought he was doing the Lord's will, snuffing out the sect of blasphemers. He was absolutely sure of his divine mission to defend the laws and the practice of God, but Jesus confronts him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
So I want you to get into Saul's mind a little bit right here. What would Saul be thinking? How could this be? He would have been very familiar with the Jewish scriptures. He would have known them just as well as uh, pretty much anyone. And he would have known that Jesus, uh, he wouldn't call it Jesus, but at least God has appeared to people all throughout biblical history. He's appeared to Moses and Jacob and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Daniel, and he's given these theophanies, we call them, which are, which are manifestations of God in some way to humans. He would have been very familiar with what that looks like, uh, a blazing light, a voice, even himself falling to the ground, trembling. These are all uh, patterns that we see throughout Scripture. So, he's very conflicted in his mind, but it's not really resolved yet, so we won't resolve it yet. Now, what does the voice say? He says, why are you persecuting me? I think this is a really uh, personal application that this verse makes to, to all of us, that as Saul's persecuting Christians, Saul's actually persecuting Jesus. And did you know, Christian, that as you're persecuted, Jesus himself is persecuted? When you feel pain for the sake of Jesus' name, Jesus himself feels it. Jesus himself knows your pain. You are bound with Christ with an inseparable union. And we see a pattern that as, Saul, as Jesus did with Saul, if you're persecuted, Jesus may even in his grace take that persecutor of you and turn them into the persecuted for Christ. That's what he does for Saul. Verse 5. What's Saul's response to this great appearance? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Saul's confusion is kind of two parts here. He says, Who are you? He, he is... He's not 100% sure of what he's seeing. He has an idea, an inkling, that this, this may be something divine, but it doesn't make any sense in his mind. And he says, who are you, Lord? It also communicates, he's, he's sort of partway there. The, the Greek word kyrios, it could, it could mean uh, sir, master. Usually it, it means Lord, or it means the Lord God in Scripture. Uh, but here, he says, who are you, Lord? And from this, I think we have to say that Saul is somewhat confused. He knows something intellectually about what he's seeing, but it hasn't fully reached his heart yet. He isn't fully transformed. If he had been, he surely wouldn't have said, who are you? We see when Jesus appears to Ananias, Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Saul says, who are you, Lord? And this is what Jesus tells him to do. Verse 6, But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Now here, Jesus doesn't really do any favors for Saul. Uh, he doesn't, he, he could have said, Saul, Saul, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
I am Jesus, one with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. I am Jesus who created this world that you live in. I am Jesus who uh, appeared to your forefathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am Jesus who delivered your people out of Egypt and into the promised land. And I am Jesus who came to earth as a man and lived a perfect life and died for the sins of you yourself and was buried and rose again and ascended to God at his right hand. And now I appear to you, Saul. Saul, believe in me and be baptized. But he just says, go into the city and you'll be told what to do. Jesus is certainly powerful enough to have changed Saul right there. He could have transformed him in a moment just with that flash of light. But he says, go into the city. You'll be told what to do. Jesus had more that he wanted to accomplish in this intervention with Saul of Tarsus. Verse 7. Now the men who were standing, were traveling with him, stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. This encounter was really directed specifically to Saul. They all heard a voice of some sort, but they didn't see anyone. This was for Saul. Now in this encounter that we've started to see, we know that Jesus has appeared to Saul, and Saul has... Uh, replied to that appearance with question. Who are you, Lord? So Jesus appeared to Saul, but he's not completely made up in his heart and mind what's going on. He questions it. Two other things that we see from this appearance. Saul's physical blindness and Saul's spiritual blindness. Look at verse 8. Saul's physical blindness. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So this is the physical nature of Paul's new condition. He rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. His eyes were open, he saw nothing. What does this point to? Let's read verse 9 and, and tie this in. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. The blindness that Jesus brings to Saul really illustrates a deeper blindness that Saul is experiencing, and that blindness is on a spiritual level. Think of these words that Jesus spoke. You'll recall in Matthew 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 13. Seeing, they do not see. Jesus says of the unbeliever, seeing, they do not see, nor do they understand. Although their eyes are opened, the person who has yet to receive spiritual sight cannot perceive and believe the things of God. They're totally without vision, without spiritual sense. And how long did this last for Saul? lasted for three days. For three days, he was without sight. And what did he do in those three days? He fasted. 
No food or drink for the remainder of that day, and then for the whole next day, and then for part of the following day, up until Ananias comes to him. And we'll see that. It's worth noting, I think, in the three days, that there's really only one other set of three days in the New Testament that's more monumental in the shaping of Christianity. And it's the three days of Jesus in the tomb. On the third day, we'll see Saul rises alive for the first time with spiritual and physical sight. Why was he fasting? He neither ate nor drank. What was he doing? He was struggling in his soul. He's in spiritual turmoil at this point. He knows the vision was some sort of a very remarkable encounter, but he also knows the cleverness of the devil. In Paul's defense, uh, he does go on to say later in, uh, in 2 Corinthians that Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So Saul would certainly have reason to take time to discern what it was that was appearing to him. He was so hardened in his heart, but naturally he would have reason to take time to discern this vision. So how can we be certain that Paul's message is trustworthy? Look at what we've seen. Jesus has appeared to Saul. Saul's questioning it. He's in spiritual turmoil. He's been given physical blindness, and his spiritual blindness has been revealed. What would it take to save a wretched soul like Saul? Only the power of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Look at verse 10. Now we come to these visions that Jesus himself gives to Ananias. And what we see in these visions, this is right in the middle of the text that we're looking at. Right in the middle, we have a vision of Jesus to Ananias. And in the middle of the vision, we have another vision. It's a vision within a vision. And it's Jesus appearing to Saul and then saying to Ananias that he's appearing to Saul. It's very interesting, the the shape of the passage that we see. And in this, I'll give you right up front, he appears to Ananias and to Saul to show the nature of what this coming conversion is going to look like. The coming conversion that he's going to work in Saul is going to be twofold. It's going to be from blindness to sight, and it's going to be from a persecutor to the persecuted. It'll be Saul the blind becoming Saul the seeing, and Saul the persecutor becoming Saul the persecuted. Verse 10. We see this amazing encounter. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Now Ananias was apparently 
a believer in Damascus. That's where Paul was at this time. He was on his way to Damascus, and now he's come into Damascus, but his whole plan has been changed at this point. So Ananias is a believer in Damascus. Now, go into the mind of Ananias now and think, what would this mean for the relationship of Ananias and Saul at this point? There would be a little bit of tension between the two of them. Uh, Ananias is a Christian in Damascus, and Saul was on his way and is now in Damascus, as far as Ananias knows, to persecute Christians. So he is hearing from Jesus that he's supposed to be going to a man named Saul, but at the same time, Saul has the potential to arrest him. That's what takes this encounter from really a divine vision to something that's really mind-blowing and an unlikely encounter with really massive significance in the life of Saul. And what follows is going to amaze Ananias even more. Look at verse 11. Right at the end, he says, For behold, this is the reason that Ananias is supposed to go to Saul of Tarsus. He says, for behold, he is, two things, he is praying and he has seen in a vision. We'll get back to the fact that Saul is praying at this time. He's seen in a vision, continuing on in verse 12, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So the Lord Jesus is saying to Ananias, look, Ananias, at the same time, I've also appeared to Saul, who I've told you to go to, and I've appeared to Saul in this way, that Saul has seen you, Ananias, come to him and lay your hands on him, and he's regained his sight. So the nature of this visit we see they'll be paid to Saul by Ananias, is that Saul gets sight. The persecuted, you see this is really interesting, the persecuted goes to the persecutor to give him sight. And in this we really see an amazing thing that is communicated in the grace of our God, the grace of the Lord Jesus that he comes even when we are persecuting him. In the case of Paul, Saul, he comes to him when he is a persecutor, and he brings the persecuted to restore his sight. Now, just like Jesus did for Saul, sort of in that way, he doesn't give Ananias too much extensive or even direct uh, instructions about what to do. He just says that Saul's had a vision that you're going to go to him. So to this, uh, we can understand that Ananias understood what the command of the Lord was and look at his response. Verse 13. Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests 
to bind all who call upon your name. Ananias has a, you think, a, a rightful response to what he's just been asked to do. He's just been asked to go to his persecutor and lay his hands on him, call him a brother, and he's going to regain his sight, even though as far as he knows right now, uh, outside of the Lord's encounter with him, Saul would have him taken to Jerusalem in chains. And more than that, if Saul could see to it, so we have two, two parallel encounters here and two parallel uh, emotional responses, I'm sure. Ananias can hardly believe that he's going to be the one that brings sight and salvation to Saul. And Saul, if you can get in Saul's mind, he's, he's had this same vision. Saul can't believe that Ananias the one who he would otherwise be persecuting, is going to come to him and give him sight. And he's going to give him, at this point, he's understanding, at least to some extent, spiritual sight. These are the two things that are going on at the same time. So we've just seen that Saul's going to get sight. That's the first part of what this conversion is going to look like. He's going to get sight. Now the second part, is found in verse 15. So Ananias sort of objects, but Jesus, just as a friend, answers him gently and reassures him. Verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So the persecuted one, both Jesus and Ananias, is giving sight. And now we have the amazing fact that Saul is going to go from the persecutor of the church to the persecuted. Now, one question I'll ask kind of in the middle here is uh, why would Jesus give this sort of uh, plan? Why would Jesus say I'm going to take away your sight and then I'm going to restore your sight back to you. Well, we'll see that question answered in just a moment. In verse 13, just to backtrack a little bit, Ananias says that Saul's reputation precedes him. Ananias is well acquainted with the murderous mission that Saul of Tarsus has. And Jesus' answer, as we've seen, Saul's a chosen instrument. This word means he's like a utensil, a tool in the hand of Jesus. And he'll use him as he will. And what will you use him to do? He'll use him to take the gospel to the Gentiles, the authorities, and to the Jews. 
And while taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, Saul will suffer for the sake of Jesus. In this vision, we hear that Saul the blind will be made Saul the seeing, and Saul the persecutor will become Saul the persecuted. Now, those are the visions in the middle. All of this working to demonstrate the miraculous nature of Saul's conversion and why we can trust the message that Saul brings. Look at the next section. It's found in verse 17. Follow along. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is Saul's second encounter with the power of Jesus. And this time it comes through the person that that Jesus is using, and that's Ananias. And this time, rather than in a blazing flash of light, Ananias comes to him with gentleness and tenderness, the words of a brother-to-be. They're words which I would say would now be welcome in the ears of Saul. The Lord's been working this work in the heart of Saul over the course of three days. He's been fasting, trying to discern what the reason is that Jesus has come to him in this vision, saying that he's going to use him for some sort of purpose. And now Saul hears the reassuring words of Ananias. He says, Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you on the road by which you came and has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the first encounter with the power of Jesus, Saul questions. He's completely unsure. And it throws him into this spiritual turmoil over the course of three days. And now, in this second encounter with the power of Jesus, he doesn't question any longer. His mind is made up. He doesn't actually have any oral response right there. He says nothing. The words are welcome to this humbled zealot. And the persecutor of the church at this point has been brought very low, and he's now ready to receive the full transformation that Jesus had in store for him. Whereas Jesus' appearance was questioned at the beginning by Saul, here, his appearance is authenticated. Saul wasn't transformed on the road to Damascus. He was thrown into the greatest spiritual depression of his life. He had never questioned his faith so much as when Jesus had appeared to him and told him, that all that he was doing, all that he thought was righteous, all of his living according to the letter of the law, 
was actually filthy rags in the sight of Jesus Christ. He was persecuting the one that he thought he was serving. What a different encounter. And what happens? What's the result of this second encounter with the power of Jesus Christ? It's nothing less than completely miraculous. Look at verse 18. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Immediately, in the moment that the Lord decided to complete his work, he did it. He broke into Saul's hard heart. He scraped through Saul's old dry eyes, and he gave him new sight. He gave him spiritual sight as a vivid picture of what he's doing at the same time. Saul, I wouldn't think, and we don't think according to this text, really understood the depths of his own spiritual depravity when Jesus first appeared to him. But he knew that Jesus had taken away his physical sight. Now we find out that Saul is starting to understand why Jesus took away his spiritual sight and he's given it back to him. Is it only spiritual sight that Jesus gives him? Or is it more? Look at the end of verse 18. Then he, Saul, rose and was baptized. His heart was completely transformed at this point. And taking food, he was strengthened. His heart was not only transformed, also his mind was made up. He had been assured that Jesus' appearance to him was truly Jesus, and it was truly the power of God that was speaking to him and giving him this new direction and purpose in life. It was the power of God. It doesn't say here that Saul received the Holy Spirit at this time, but it's really inferred from Ananias' speech to Saul. He was directed to lay his hands on him so that he'd regain his sight, it says, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here we see in another way this two-layered transformation that Saul would receive his physical sight and that he would receive the Holy Spirit. Physical sight and spiritual sight at the same time, and they go hand in hand in the conversion of Saul. Now that he has the Holy Spirit spiritual sight that the eyes of his heart his heart is opened that he saw for the first time what could it be that now he saw well he saw that Jesus is the Christ he saw also that his old way was perverted he saw that though he was persecuting Christians the Christians knew the way and they were championing the message of the power of the true God. He saw himself as one of those whom only days ago he would have killed given the opportunity. He saw himself 
as a servant of Christ Jesus, ready and willing to do whatever Jesus would ask of him. He was completely surrendered to the call, to the lordship, to the authority of Jesus Christ in his life. But, how can we be 100% confident that Saul's conversion is complete and full and that he's received this conversion by the power of God himself? Look at verse 20. I said we started with Paul going to the synagogue and we end with Paul going to the synagogue. In between there, Jesus appears to Saul in power at the beginning and at the end. And in the middle, Jesus appears and says what the nature and the breadth of Saul's conversion would be. Now we come to the final stage, our conclusion. Verse 20, follow along. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And I missed the part just before that. It says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he's with the disciples, fellowshipping, and immediately he goes into the synagogues. I want you to see this. Saul starts with his aim to go into the synagogue to do what? To take Christians and bind them and bring them to Jerusalem for punishment. And at the end of this encounter and this miraculous transformation by the power of Jesus, he's going into the synagogue, but he's going not to persecute, but to proclaim the name of Jesus the one who confronted him and transformed his life and transforms life today. How can we be absolutely 100% surely confident the message of Saul is true? It's because by it, he received spiritual sight. Nothing but the power of God itself could change Saul from being the persecutor of the church, the blind one, to being the persecuted for Christ, the seeing one, the one that we find out in Acts chapter 26. He says, I've been called for this purpose to bring sight to the blind. Jesus has done that for him. And he will do that for others, though he'll suffer for it for the sake of Christ. Now he could see the truth. He who was blind could now see. Only the truth of God, with the power of God, could slough off the scaly eyes and break out the hard heart of Saul. Only by the miracle of Jesus did this man stand before us now in the text of Acts, transformed. To close off this thought, if you have your Bibles open still, turn back to Acts chapter 7. Look at verse 59 and 60. We see God's masterful plan to transform the life of Saul and to communicate that he was his divine messenger. Acts 7, 59. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, you'll remember, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Jesus answered the prayer of Stephen and orchestrated this masterful plan according to his purpose, to his own glory, so that we can believe Paul's gospel. For it's the same gospel that gave him spiritual sight and changed him from the persecutor to the persecuted for Christ. It's the same gospel and the same Jesus that has done the same for us, changing us from the blind spiritually to the seeing spiritually. And maybe from the persecutor of Jesus' name to the persecuted for the sake of his name. And even more than that, the proclaimer as Saul was in the synagogues of the name of Jesus, saying he is the Son of God. It is a wonderful gospel that Jesus has worked, and by this we can see in the life of Saul and his conversion that what he says next week and what he says in the book of Romans is absolutely true because it comes from a trustworthy source. It comes from a man who was converted by none other than Jesus Christ himself in his great power to save Saul and to save us. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we see before us now the great way, the masterful, wise way, but foolish by the world's standards, that you've brought about salvation to the man Saul of Tarsus, taking him from spiritual blindness and showing him that by physical blindness and then giving back his physical sight and showing him that he had physical blindness but now has spiritual sight. Lord, we praise you because you have changed this man from the persecutor of the church of God, the one who was zealous with all he had, to become the persecuted, more zealous than ever. Lord, we pray that we would follow in his footsteps and that we would be 100% certain that the message that you bring to us in all of Paul's words in the book of Acts, in the book of Romans, in all the rest of the books that he writes in the New Testament, that they are trustworthy and true because they come from a source none other than one who was transformed by the miraculous power of Jesus Christ. No one but you could do a salvation like this. No one but you could take the scales off eyes and give true sight. Lord, remind us of what you've done for us this morning as you've done for Paul. All of us were in Christ, united to him. And for those of us who do not know him, Remove the scales from our eyes. Show us that we have spiritual blindness and give those people spiritual sight that they would then go and proclaim the name of Jesus, saying he is the Son of God.
to your great glory and renown among all the nations. Amen.